Welcome to the Littlestown Chapel podcast. When you get an opportunity, check us out on the web at littlestownchapel.org. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Andre, for that good report. And Melina, just so happy you're here today, too. You want to make sure that you visit with them before you leave today. When the service is over, I'm going to ask them to be out in the lobby. And you could just say hello to them and greet them, and they would enjoy uh, meeting with you. They remember a couple of you, as he said. So uh, introduce yourself. Don't be shy. And I know they would enjoy getting to know you as well. I, I always think it's a blessing when we... Uh, have our friends that are in global ministries, our missionary friends. It just reminds us the church is so much bigger than just us here in Littlestown, um, especially when our brother and sister are uh, nationals from that country. It just reminds us that God is doing something bigger than just what he's doing here in Littlestown as well. So this morning, we're going to tie together the story of Jonah. We've been reading about Jonah in the Old Testament, the prophet of God, and uh, he's known as a runaway prophet. He's been given a ministry of preaching God's message to the people of Nineveh, the enemy, the wicked people of Nineveh, and Jonah just resists that, and he runs the other way, and God sends a storm and causes him to be thrown overboard, and he gets swallowed up by a giant fish, and Again, I don't understand how that happened. It's, it's humanly impossible, and yet God miraculously makes it occur, and Jonah's life is spared. He turns away from his rebellion. He surrenders to God and goes to Nineveh, and he actually preaches the gospel. But even as he's preaching the message of deliverance, and remember that message was just so short, yet 40 days and Nineveh will be destroyed, Jonah has the distinction of being the prophet in history that preaches the message and everybody repented. Everybody turned away from their sin. And these, these strangers, these, these enemies, these foreigners, these idol worshipers and pagans, they actually listened to what Jonah had to say and they turned their lives upside down. Remember, they turned it over in repentance and they received God's mercy. And there was revival and, and God relented and didn't judge the the nation. You'd think Jonah would be excited. You'd think, wow, that'll look good on my resume. <laughs> I preached and the whole city, 120,000 people, turned around and surrendered to God and look at the results of this evangelistic, this revival campaign. Jonah's the exact opposite. Jonah is furious. Jonah is sulky. You know, there's all these giant things in the story of Jonah, the giant storm, the giant fish, the giant city, and the giant revival, and here's Jonah, the giant person pouting, just pouting, just fuming over what's occurred. And the thing that's important for us to understand is that we see Jonah here, and we see this story, and we learn all of this, and we come to chapter 4, and in the middle of this story, here really not at the middle, but at the end, at the climax, God wants Jonah and I and you, he wants us to learn that God's mercy is for everybody. We've talked about how his mercy makes us merciful, and we've talked about how God's mercy makes us humble. And we talked about how if we overturn our lives and repent, we'll find God's mercy for our lives. 
But here at the end of the story, it's all been building to this point where there's this final showdown between God and Jonah east of the city of Nineveh. Jonah's furious and God is patient and he's not only trying to spare the people of Nineveh, but he's also trying to help his prophet turn away from his own selfishness and sin and experience the mercy of God in a new and fresh way in his own life. And he wants Jonah to see that the mercy of God, yes, it's undeserved, but it's for everybody. It's available to anybody who's willing to repent, anybody who's willing to overturn their lives and admit their sin and receive the forgiveness and mercy and salvation of God. It's available to everybody. And yet there were several things that Jonah struggled with that kept him from really embracing that mercy and extending in turn that mercy to other people as well. And so I'd like us just to read through chapter 4. It's a familiar story. It seems maybe a little silly, but God is using a very powerful object lesson to get Jonah's attention and to teach him, just like he's teaching you and teaching me, that God's mercy is for everybody and you and I can't stand in the way of that. We have to become channels of God's mercy to others. And so here we're going to see how confused Jonah is about the mercy of God. And I want you and I to confront our own confusion about it and make sure that we really are embracing the mercy of God and experiencing the mercy of God in our own lives so that we can extend that mercy to others as well. So let's read God's Word now. This is on page 775 if you'd like to follow along using one of the Bibles here in church. It's Jonah chapter 4. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left 
and also much cattle? And it ends right there. This is the word of the Lord. Give thanks to God. Do you see the situation? God spares Nineveh. And it's interesting that in chapter 3, verse 10, it says that God relented of the disaster that he said he would do to them, and he did not do it. I would take your pencil and just highlight or underline the word disaster there, all right? Because the word disaster there really is a, a Hebrew word that means evil. It's like an evil calamity, an evil disaster, an evil problem, something coming along. It has a moral idea, but it's more the idea of something that's unfortunate and terrible occurring. There's a moral value, but then also this idea of some kind of suffering and problem that comes, a disaster. But what's interesting is that in verse 1 of chapter 4, it says, it displeased Jonah exceedingly. I would underline the word displeased there because that's the exact same word as disaster in the verse before. In other words, Jonah had an evil in his heart. He responded to God sparing Nineveh in an evil way. God said, I'm not going to destroy the people of Nineveh. I'm going to withhold the judgment that they deserve because look, they've repented. Look, they've turned away from their sins. And do you notice that at the end of chapter three? It's not their fasting. It's not the sackcloth. It's not eating and drinking that they refuse to do that fasting. That's not what persuaded God to relent of sending the disaster. It's the fact that he says, no, they've turned away from their sins. And because of that, because they've turned their lives over, they flipped their lives upside down and they've repented to me. I'm sparing them of this disaster. I'm not going to send this evil upon them. But Jonah responds and he has an evil in his life, in his heart. He sees what's happened to Nineveh and he's extremely angry about it. He thinks it's evil. God wants to destroy Nineveh, but he spares them because he's merciful. Jonah sees Nineveh that's evil being spared by God, and he thinks that's wicked. He thinks that's horrible that God has spared Nineveh. Why is that? Because Jonah has such evil in his own heart. He has such a wickedness in his own heart. What we're going to see in this little object lesson that's unfolding here in chapter 4 is that Jonah is just as wicked as the people of Nineveh. He's just as bad, but he doesn't see himself that way. He sees himself superior to them. He sees himself as somebody who deserves God's mercy and deserves God's favor because he's one of God's chosen people, an Israelite. But those Assyrians, look how violent they are. Look how wicked they are. Look how sinful they are. Look at all the idols that they worship. They deserve God's judgment. And when God withholds that, Jonah says, that's bad. That's an evil thing that's happened. So how does Jonah respond? Instead of rejoicing and celebrating that God is so merciful, he complains. He prays to God. Oh, Lord, alas, oh, Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? See, they've had this conversation before. I knew it, he says. That is why I made haste and I fled to Tarshish. Remember, that's what happened in chapter 1. God calls Jonah to go to Nineveh. Instead of obeying, Jonah runs the opposite way, runs as far away as he possibly can to the, the western seas, the western part of the Mediterranean Sea, maybe as far away as Spain. He's trying to get as far away as he can from from God and, and the city of Nineveh where he's supposed to obey the Lord and preach the word. That's why he went on that ship. And that's why God got Jonah's attention through the terrible storm and then exposing him and causing him to be thrown overboard by the crew. 
God was trying to bring Jonah back. And Jonah says, this is why I ran away. This is why I knew that you were going to be merciful to the people of Nineveh, and I don't want that. This is why I made haste, why I immediately fled to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Now, listen, Jonah was not confused that God was merciful. He knew that God was merciful, but he was confused about what the mercy of God meant for his life and the people of Nineveh. He thought that Nineveh's mercy was on, God's mercy was only for the people of Nineveh. Excuse me, let me start over. I'm saying this wrong. He thought that God's mercy was only for the people of Israel, only for the Israelites, not for people that were not Israelites. Sorry for the confusion there. But it's important to see that Jonah, as he reads this verse and as he says it, and he says these five things about God, how he says that I knew, I know this for a fact, that you are a gracious God, that you show favor, especially the people that don't deserve it. And I know that you're merciful. And the word mercy there comes from a Hebrew word that has the idea of the womb, it's sort of the, the maternal caring instinct like a mother would have for a child. I know you're merciful and caring in that way. I know that you're very patient. I know that you're very slow to anger. You have a very long fuse. You're just very patient and loyal and kind. And I know you're that way. And he says, also says, I know that you're relenting from disaster. I know your love is loyal and steadfast. I know you're that way. And I know that you'll be that way to the people of Nineveh. Now, what Jonah is doing is he's quoting from Exodus chapter 34. In Exodus chapter 34, verses 6 and 7, this is a story, it's, it's, it's a big passage in Scripture. The children of Israel have been set free from bondage in Egypt. They're wandering through the desert. Moses has gone to the top of Mount Sinai. He's received the Ten Commandments. He's getting a vision for how to build the tabernacle. And he's spending all this time with God on top of Mount Sinai. And the children of Israel are in the valley below at the foot of the mountain. And they begin to worry. And they begin to get afraid. And they get kind of antsy and bored. And uh, idle hands are the devil's workshop, so to speak. And so they begin saying, what's, what's become of Moses? Has he gotten lost? We need a God to lead us out of the wilderness. And so they said, we're going to build a golden calf, an image of Baal, an idol. And they begin building this idol and they begin worshiping it and they do all this dancing and celebrating around this idol and saying, here's our idol. We don't know what's become of Moses. We don't know what Yahweh has done, the God of Israel, whether he's still there for us. And so they, they've rejected Moses and they've rejected God on Mount Sinai and here they are worshiping this idol and God says, I'm so mad, I want to destroy them and I'm gonna wipe them all out and I'm gonna save your life, Moses, and I'm gonna make you a great leader and I'm gonna give you a great nation and you're gonna lead those people into the promised land and Moses says, please don't do that. Please don't do that. You can kill me instead, but spare the people of Israel. Don't do that. In a moment, we're going to read in chapter 4 that Moses, Jonah says, I wish I could die, but I wish I could die so that those people, it's not fair that they live. I want to die. I, 
I, you either save me or save them. That's what God is saying, what Moses, Jonah is saying there to God. Save me or save them. Kill me or kill them. Can't be both. Of course, God spares Jonah's life as well. But Moses was willing to die for the Israelites. Jonah wanted to die because God had spared the Ninevites and rescued their lives. In the middle of all that conversation, God appears to, jo- to Moses and said, I am the Lord. I am merciful. I am gracious. I am compassionate. I am loyal in my love. I am long-suffering. I will not always bring disaster upon my people. And Jonah picks that up here and quotes it and says, I know that's exactly what you're like, God. But you know what? It's not fair. Because now Jonah understands that God is applying that, that those characteristics of his life. It's not just toward his relationship with the Israelites, the people of Israel, but it's also toward all the nations. It's for all the people that God is merciful and kind and gracious and forgiving and patient and relenting from bringing disaster. Jonah understands, God, you're bringing this to all the people. And that's not fair. I don't like that. I don't want that. I wish you would kill them or kill me. God doesn't do that. Because listen, in verse 4, God says to Jonah... Do you really do well to be so angry? Do you really, be, really do so well to be so angry that you want to die? You, wanna, you want me to kill you right now? Really? He's trying to get Jonah to think. Jonah doesn't answer to the Lord. And so what he does is he leaves the city. The 40 days have passed. God has spared the city of Nineveh. Jonah leaves the city and he goes east of the city. In Scripture, whenever you see people moving east, now not always, but most of the time you see people moving east, it's always in the sense of they've been punished, they're being judged, and they're out of the will of God. Adam and Eve leaving the Garden of Eden and moving to the east is a prime example of that. And so there's Jonah. He's just kind of furious with God, mad at God, expecting God to judge Nineveh, but God doesn't. And Jonah thinks it's not fair, it's not right that these Gentile, idol-worshiping, wicked, violent people who one day will attack and destroy the people of Israel because that had been prophesied. Jonah says it's not fair. So I'm going to just, in a huff, leave. And he goes outside the city and he's just going to sit and wait. He builds himself a little hut, a little shack, kind of a thing. Maybe it was just made out of mud. Maybe it was leaves. I don't know what it was, but he builds this little shelter, this little hut outside the city, and he just sits there to wait. And the thing is, is that he's out in the desert, and it's hot, and it's windy, and this hot, windy air is blowing upon him, and he's beginning to feel a little miserable as he's waiting. He's pouting. He's upset. He's furious that God has spared the Ninevites. So God, in his mercy, wants to teach Jonah a lesson. And he does it by miraculously causing this plant, maybe some kind of a vine, a gourd plant. We're not exactly sure what kind of plant it is. But he causes this plant to start growing up overnight, and it creates this shade over top this little hut. And I'm told that in the Middle East, you can't get enough shade. It's so hot and so dry. You just can't get enough shade. And so they 
this plant grows over top this little shelter. Jonah's huddled in it. He's watching out over on the horizon to see what happens to Nineveh. Maybe God will change his mind. Maybe God will destroy the city. And Jonah's just sitting there pouting, waiting, huffing and puffing, and he's doing all that. And he's saying, boy, it's really nice that I've got this shade here. Aren't I lucky that I've got this plant growing over top of me? Jonah continues going, and it says that overnight, the next day, overnight, God sent a worm to attack, literally that's what it says, to attack like a military force attacking another military force, to attack the plant. And that worm begins chewing at the stalk and begins chewing on the leaves and just munching it all up, and there it is, and all of a sudden, the plant that was providing this generous shade dies, it withers up and it dies. And now it says that when dawn came the next day, Jonah noticed that the plant had started to shrivel up and wither. And as the sun is rising in the sky, it's getting hotter and hotter and hotter. And the sun's heat and the sun's rays and light are beating down, literally the same word as the worm attacking the plant. The sun's rays are attacking Jonah and beating down on top of him. And he's miserable. In fact, it says that in verse 8, excuse me, verse 6, it says that God was saving him from his discomfort. It's the same word that was read earlier about evil and disaster and all that, that God was trying to rescue Jonah from his own evil heart and discomfort there. So when the, the plant withered up and died, notice at the end of verse eight, Jonah says, it's better for me to die than to live. And we're not even sure that Jonah prays this to God. I think he's just kind of muttering it to himself. Oh, I wish I were dead. I just wish I were dead. I'm so mad. I'm so miserable. Nineveh's still over there, and the sun's beating down, and my good shade plant, my favorite shade plant, just withered up. And here I am in my dumb little, little shack and hut that I'm in, and this is awful. And on top of that, I've got to walk all the way back to Israel. That, this is a mess. This is I wish I were dead. Notice how patient God is in verse 10. Rather, verse 9. God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, Yes, I do well to be angry. Angry enough to die. I'm so angry I could die. What is God trying to do? He's trying to make Jonah think through what's really going on. He's trying to help Jonah see how silly how ridiculous it is to be so upset about the plant. You see, in one way, Jonah is asking for God to bring his judgment upon the people of Nineveh. Now, God has relented from punishing it. He's spared it. He's showing mercy to it. And Jonah's saying, I really wish you would judge them. And God is trying to say to Jonah, Jonah, let me give you an illustration of what that would be like if I did that if I gave the mercy and then took that mercy away. Let me show you what it would be really like. I'm going to put you out. Here you are. You've chosen to leave Nineveh, and you're out here in the middle of the desert, and it's a hot, sunny day, and the temperatures are soaring, and there's a wind blowing, drying everything out, drying you up, and you're withering, wilting, just like the plant is wilting, and I'm going to give you a shade plant, and then I'm going to take that shade plant away. I'm going to take it away. I want to show you what it's like that if you deserve justice, but instead you get mercy, but then I take the mercy away. I want you to see what it's like 
I think God is thinking this and talking about this behind the scenes and Jonah experiences it. The shade is given, it's taken away, he's miserable. He is getting justice, he receives mercy, mercy's taken away. And he gets the full brunt of God's justice in that moment. God ties it all together in verse 10. The Lord said, you, that's an emphatic pronoun there. He's saying you, Jonah, yes, you. You yourself, you yourself pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. Jonah, you only care about the plant. You have more sympathy and concern for the plant that gave you shade than for this city that's over here. You care more about your own comfort than you do about these people because notice what he says in verse 11. Should I, and that's an emphatic pronoun also, I, I myself, in contrast to you, I, should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle? You care about the plant because it comforted you. You care about the plant because it was gracious to you and provided shelter to you. Should I not have the same, at least the same amount of concern for the people of Nineveh and spare their lives if they turn to me in repentance? Should I not care for them? Should I not be compassionate and merciful toward them? You know, the thing is, is we never see Jonah's answer. The dialogue is cut off right there and he doesn't reply. In fact, it's really not important what Jonah answers. It's what's important is what do you and I answer there? What do, we, what do we say? Is it more important to care for yourself or do you care for other people? Is it more important that God blesses you and takes care of you and saves you and provides for you? Or can we extend that blessing and mercy to other people as well? That's I think what God is trying to get our attention about. God's mercy is for everybody because everybody needs it. And God is trying to say, Jonah, you're just as wicked as the people of Nineveh. Yes, you're part of the chosen people. Yes, you're one of my prophets. Yes, you are that. But look at the evil in your own heart. In this episode with me sparing Nineveh and you getting angry about it, it reveals that you're no different than they are. You need my mercy also. In fact, I've already shown you mercy, remember? That's what that fish was. The SS mercy that swallowed you up and rescued you. I rescued you in that way. I gave you a second chance. I blessed your preaching and on those eight words that you said, yet 40 days and Nineveh will be destroyed. I made those the most powerful, effective message that any preacher has ever preached. You did what I asked you to do. I have been showing my mercy to you over and over and over again, and you still don't get it. I've shown mercy one last time. I gave you this shade plant. And then I took it away to remind you what, of what life is like without my mercy. You're constantly being beaten down by your own foolish choices and the judgment that comes from me as a consequence. 
I want to rescue you from that, Jonah. I want to spare you just like I've spared the people of Nineveh. Will you receive my mercy? Will you acknowledge that I need to give my mercy to anybody and everybody who turns to me to receive it? And if I were sitting here with Jonah, I would probably have a couple questions. I would raise some objections. But Lord, I would say something like that. Maybe you're thinking this too. But Lord, Lord, it's not fair. They don't deserve your mercy. But that's the point of mercy. None of us deserve it. Nobody deserves it. Yes, they're wicked. Yes, they're violent. Yes, they're idol worshipers. Yes, all they know of God's revelation is is eight words. Yet 40 days and Nineveh will be destroyed. They don't know anything else. In fact, they are so lost, they're like little children that don't know their right hand from their left hand. And that was a, a powerful image in Judaism to describe somebody who had a knowledge of God's law and God's truth for their lives. I can know the difference between the right and the left, and I know the right way to go and the, the wrong way to avoid. I know that because I've been instructed in God's word, and I know how to live. And he's saying, look, I'm being merciful to these people, all 120,000 of them. I care about them because they don't know which way to go. They don't know how to follow me. They don't know what they're doing. And everything that you're against and mad about them is simply because they don't know me. They don't know my truth. Yes, they're sinners. Yes, they most certainly deserve my judgment. I told them that I would judge them if they didn't turn to me. But they took that one little bit of information that they did know that they could turn to me, and they did. Shouldn't I show mercy to them for that? Jonah's already said, you're you're loving, you're gracious, you're merciful, you relent, you don't bring judgment, you're patient, you're long-suffering. Jonah's already said that back in verse 2. Jonah knows that. There's no confusion about who God is and what he's like, how kind and merciful he is. Jonah's just being honest and saying there are times where God's mercy is not fair. It never is. Especially when you and I realize as people who understand the gospel that there's Jesus Christ, the Son of God, perfect and innocent in every way, yet willingly, because he loved you and he loved me, willing to have the justice of God poured out upon him, the judgment of God poured out on him because he was clothed with your sins and mine. All that was laid on him. The iniquity of us all was placed on him. He who knew no sin became sin for us. That the righteousness of God, the forgiveness and mercy and salvation of God might be given to us. Was that fair that Jesus died for our sins? No. Jonah, was it fair that God chose Abraham and Isaac to bring, to be the chosen people, the people of Israel, that they would be the ones fair? No, that wasn't fair either, but he did it. Was it fair that God rescued you from drowning? No, that wasn't fair. Was it fair that your ministry was so effective? No, that wasn't fair either. There are a lot of people who preached longer and harder and got zero fruit for their labor. None of these things are fair, but mercy's never fair. Because if we got what was fair we would all be destroyed. 
See, Jonah wants mercy for himself, but he doesn't want mercy for other people. And God says, my mercy is for everybody. It's for all people. Come and receive it by humbling yourself and admitting your need, and I will give that mercy to you. Jonah recognized that. Jonah probably also struggled with just its, you know, I'm afraid. If you're merciful to the Ninevites and the people of Assyria and don't destroy them, one day they're going to come and attack us because they're our mortal enemy. And that's true. And that is what happened about 150 years later. Assyria did come and attack the northern kingdom of Israel and carry them off into captivity. So Jonah was right. He was afraid. But God would say to Jonah, Jonah, this isn't just about your nationalistic pride. We're told to seek first the kingdom of God. And yes, you can be patriotic, but it's got to be more than that. It's about being patriotic to the kingdom of God and surrendering to His authority and yielding to Him. So even though you're afraid, fear me more. Even though you're afraid of what can happen if I spare these people's lives, recognize that I'm still with you and I will sustain you. And if the people of Israel repent, I'll spare them as well. But trust me more. Rely on me more. And take your fears and give them to me and I will watch over you. And the judgment that Israel deserves, maybe I can even relent from that too. But trust me. You see, in all of this, God is just trying to say to Jonah, Jonah, just trust me. Just, just trust me and admit that you need the mercy that the people of Nineveh need as well. God is merciful to everybody. God shows his mercy to anyone who's willing to repent, who's willing to overturn their lives and surrender to him. And if God is willing to show that by sparing the people of Nineveh, then certainly he would do that for you and me. God says the city of Nineveh is great, and he's not just talking about that it's a great metropolitan city. It's a great number of people, a large city. He's saying something bigger than that. He's saying these people are valuable to me. They are precious to me. And yes, you think they're evil, and you think they're enemies, and yes, they do a lot of evil things, and yes, they are wicked, and they haven't gotten this thing about worshiping me downright yet. But they're still valuable to me. And Jonah maybe would say, I don't see it. And God says, well, maybe what you need to pray for is the eyes to see people as I see them. That they're valuable and precious to me. And because of that, I'm willing to spare their lives and rescue them if they turn to me. Think about what this means for you and I. We have people that we consider enemies. We have people that we hate. There's groups of people, maybe neighbors and friends, not friends, excuse me, but neighbors that are near us, coworkers, schoolmates, relatives, folks that we just detest and we don't like. Maybe there's classes of people, groups of people. They're of another race or they're of another religious background or they come from a different country or, or they live in another part of town and you don't trust them and you, know, they're, they're, you, you don't think that they're, they're good. You, you think they're wicked, they're evil and you want nothing to do with them. 
And the thought of sharing the gospel with them, of, of being a witness to them, is shocking to you. But I think one of the things that God is trying to say through this story is, my mercy is for everybody. Don't stand in the way of other people getting my mercy. Let that mercy humble you. Let that mercy make you merciful. Let my mercy lead you to actually be a vessel and a, a channel of my mercy to others and sharing the gospel with them. You could start with starting to pray for them. Lord, I admit that I don't like these people. I hate them. I resent them. I'm too busy to be bothered with them. Would you just say, God, I'm sorry for that? Would you forgive me for that? Would you help me instead to love them like you love them? And then I think another thing to pray about is just to say, God, would you just channel your love through me to them? To see them as you see them? To love them as you love them? And then, Lord, show me how. What can I do? What can I do to tell them about Christ? What can I do to serve them? What can I do to bless them? What can I do to represent you to them? Next Sunday starts Vacation Bible School. We're inviting all the kids from our neighborhood to come, all the area kids to come. And some of those will have really filthy clothing and maybe be smelly because they haven't taken a bath. Uh, maybe they're ungrateful. Maybe they're disrespectful. Some of them have maybe never ever come inside a church before. And it's a weird thing to them. I want to encourage you to look past all that and see them as Jesus sees them. And to love them. And to welcome them. Because that's exactly what Jesus did for you. What God did for Jonah. In loving him and welcoming him. So God loves and welcomes you and shows you his mercy. Can we welcome them as well? Let me pray with you. Lord, I thank you for this day and this privilege of being in your presence. And Lord, I thank you for your loving kindness and mercy. And I pray that, Lord, please, you would help us be faithful. But Lord, really, I'm asking you to help us be faithful that we would do it in the strength that Christ gives that we would do it because he has welcomed and included us, that he took away all the reason that we should feel afraid, that he's reminded us that really there's no point of pride because we're Christians or because we're white or because we're Americans. These are not reasons to be proud. No, Lord, in your eyes, the mercy and grace we've received is a gift. I pray that we would extend that gift to others and do it generously for your honor and for your glory. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.